do anything wrong in this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Could have done without that. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. You never go full rebuild. You look back in the history of baseball, there's been a couple notable teams that have had success doing it. I'm going to explain to you why in a day and age we live in right now, in the year of 2024, it makes the least amount of sense to go full rebuild in baseball. There are 12 teams making the playoffs each year. That's 40% of Major League Baseball. Prior to the year of 1969, it was what? Two out of 20 or 10%. You added the divisional play, which started in 1969, guaranteeing two playoff teams. Four playoff teams in all of baseball. Obviously, you've seen that grow with multi-divisions and a wild card, and now we sit with three division winners and three wild card teams making it to the postseason each year. In other words, there's more teams that are in it come around the trading deadline than not. An average team is not that far away. To tell the fans we're not going to be competitive we're going to trade all our top assets to get good young players. We know that's a crapshoot. You look back at the past, it's not a guarantee that if you trade your good players, you're going to get the players that are going to be part of your future. Ask the Astros. The Astros got very little from the key players that they traded that they had. The Baltimore Orioles didn't even really have players to trade when they went to their, you know, through their rebuild. The key is to hit the draft, draft good players, hit the international free agents, and listen, be be conscious of looking of ways to get your team better. But most importantly, I think a lot of it is the behind the scenes, the uh, emphasis in data. The If you look at a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, how have they been successful? They've been successful because they know exactly what they're looking for when they bring a pitcher in. They want to um, amplify the pitcher's strengths. So they do that. There's a reason that pitchers come to Tampa Bay, they pitch really well, and then they go pitch for somebody else and they're not the same. You know, the same thing with the Astros. The Orioles are starting to do that. There's a lot more application of data within organizations. Teams are investing money in it. You don't have to totally tank in baseball to get good in a handful of seasons. And if you look at the Astros, who are probably the poster child for tear it down completely and see what happens. Number one, the Astros didn't get very much for any of the players that they sold off. They gave three, maybe four seasons away to their fans. But how have they been able to sustain the success that they have from building their farm system from the bottom. They've supported it by making free agent signings, by actually spending money. If you look at the Houston Astros, they have the highest payroll now 
over the last five years than they ever had in the history of their franchise. So in other words, they supported their rebuild by adding to their payroll once they've gotten good. And if you look at Baltimore, the fact that they've D'Angelo's family sold to Rubenstein, now there's money in the ownership group. I think there's a very good chance the Orioles are, number one, going to retain their own players, but number two should be able to add to the talent that they have, have a higher payroll, maybe a payroll at least from a um, league ranking perspective that'll be back up there with the Orioles of the 1990s. I don't believe that it makes sense to completely shut it down and not compete for a given season. There may be times where the outlook might not be so good. You might have some watered down players that might be a little bit washed up. And because of that, you may be in a position to not be competitive for a given year. But the best way to supplement that is draft draft well, do a better job from you know free agent signings, looking to add to your team. But in a league where 40% of it makes the playoffs, there's no reason that you should be not trying. There should be no reason that you shouldn't be going out there trying to be competitive. In fact, a deep down rebuild is just a cop-out for owners that just want to be cheap. And you know that there's a battle. You know that there's a series of owners led by Jerry Reinsdorf and Artie Moreno that simply do not want to pay players. They want to watch the salaries of players go down. They want to bring back the reserve clause. They want to go back to the days of Charlie Comiskey and Jacob Rupert and the like. But there's value in the players because you know what? They're still getting paid. No matter how much a couple of the owners want to bring down the total amount of what players are getting paid, the demand still exists because there's so few of the players that are able to do the things that they do. Now, you might want to say, well, why are there so many free agents out there right now? I think it's a fair discussion. I think you could talk about their value maybe dropping a little bit. Somebody like Scott Boris, who has X amount of players that are still free agents right now, um, that, that is a little bit of a concern. But it makes sense for a team to at least put a certain amount of money out there that they're willing to pay their players total. The Tampa Bay Rays are about to have a record payroll, even after trading Tyler Glass now. Now they have a philosophy. They're not going to invest too much in their own players. In other words, their players, their star players, the players that they develop themselves will have a certain amount of time up at the major league level, and then they trade them. You know, example, Tyler Glass now, Manuel Margot, Obviously, other players in the past, David Price, Evan Longoria, you know, you look at all the better players to play or the majority of the top players to play for the Tampa Bay Rays, and that's the way they went out. But you could see they have a philosophy, they have a definition, they have an organizational identity, which if you look at teams like the Astros and the Braves and the Yankees and the Cardinals, those are teams that have had that for many, many seasons. And there's no coincidence that none of those teams go through a quote-unquote rebuild. They might have a bad season. They might miss the postseason. They might have a stretch where they're not necessarily winning World Series championships. But they never go full rebuild. And I think that's the message 
That's a message for the rest of Major League Baseball. We're going to jump into saving sports history, but before I do that, um, Lefty Drizel, who was a, a very good college basketball coach, ironically on the day where I profiled the top 10 college basketball coaches in the history of the sport, passed away at the age of 92. Now, what stands out about him was that he took a program in Maryland where he became the head coach and turned it into one of the better college basketball schools. John Lucas, Len Elmore, Buck Williams, among others, end up playing during the time of Drizel's tenure as the head coach. Won 100 or more games at four different schools. Took four different schools to the NCAA tournament. Take a moment to respect the life and the very good college basketball career of Lefty Drizel. Today is the 17th day of February 2024, so everything I'm about to go into in the world of saving sports history happened on this day. I jump into DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour, and go to the year of 1923. An NHL forward by the name of Cy Dennehy passes Joe Malone for the all-time goal record, NHL history, by scoring his 143rd career goal. 1943, Joe DiMaggio enlists into the U.S. Army. 1951, Gordie Howe scores his 100th career goal. Obviously, Howe would hold the all-time goal record until it was passed by Wayne Gretzky. 1964, Luke Appling gets elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Probably one of the more underrated shortstops in the history of the sport. Hit 310 in his career. Had 2,700. 49 career hits, played 20 years for the Chicago White Sox, really one of the more underrated shortstops and better shortstops to ever play in the history of the sport. 1965, Masanori Murakami, first player from, in, from Major League Baseball history to come from Japan and play in the major leagues. Um, kind of a little bit of a story or a backstory behind it. There was an agreement that Murakami was going to play or report to the San Francisco Giants as kind of an exchange player type of system. This was something that baseball was just trying out. They got an agreement with Japan, and he was going to hang around the baseball team for a couple months. Now, apparently, there was a some sort of misunderstanding the Japanese team that he played for was supposed to ask for him back at some point. They never did. Um, Murakami ended up making his Major League debut with the Giants in 1964. On this day, there's a little bit of a relationship issue between the United States and Japan over the services of Masanori Murakami. What ends up happening is they come up to an agreement that Murakami will play a season in Major League Baseball, a full season, and then return to Japan, which he ends up doing. But I think it's very important to take a moment to signify what Masanori Murakami meant to all Japanese-born players that would eventually play in Major League Baseball. Sadahara Oh, probably the greatest Japanese player of all time, never played in Major League Baseball. You look at guys like, of course, Ichiro, Hideki Matsui, Obviously, several other great players that have come from Japan. Of course, you know, 
culminating with the likes of Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto. All great players that have come from the country of Japan may not have gotten that chance if it wasn't for Masanori Murakami. 1974, Richard Petty becomes the first to ever win back-to-back Daytona 500s. Exactly what we're looking at. 26, 40, 43 years later, 44 years later, or 46 years later, Denny Hamlin ends up doing it again. And actually, 2019 and 2020, on this day, he ends up winning the Daytona 500 in consecutive years. Born on this day, Wally Pip. He's, he's going to be known pretty much as a verb. Wally Pip, you know, you look at Lou Gehrig, comes in there, plays a game for Wally Pip because he's out with a headache. And Wally Pip never saw first base for the New York Yankees again. He was born on this day in 1893. Legendary broadcaster Red Barber, born on this day in 1908. Roger Craig former Major League pitcher and manager for the San Francisco Giants, was born on this day in 1930. One year later, the greatest defensive coach, in my opinion, in the history of pro football. You could say he's up there with Bill Belichick, but you look at what Buddy Ryan did as a defensive mind, and it was revolutionary to the sport. He took the quarterback position, which offenses did everything they could to try to protect And he said he was going to do everything he can to stop that quarterback, to hinder that quarterback, to even go to a point where he paid players to take out the opposing quarterback. Buddy Ryan's defense is what the NFL is right now. 1936, the greatest running back in the history of pro football, Jim Brown, was born. 1963, the greatest basketball player in the history of of basketball. Michael Jordan was born. 1986, we lost Hall of Fame baseball pitcher Red Ruffing, one of the best pitchers to ever pitch for the New York Yankees. Another Yankee great pitcher passed away just three years later, Vernon Lefty Gomez. And in 2020, one of the greatest female golfers in the history of sport, Mickey Wright, passed away. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you soon. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you could check me out on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, video, and podcast, both available on YouTube. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Bride was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. And I'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude believe a dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say...
in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, Absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You're damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You're damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>